0: So, they've lost the plot of life. They've, most people have lost the plot of life. and artists artists need to um, artists, artists are needed. I think to uh, tell me, uh, sometimes I think that all art is aimed at destroying our belief systems, okay? Because otherwise, what? It's just decoration. I mean, I, I love to I love a good decoration, but that's what it yeah. is. So, to destroy or, or shake up, at least, our belief systems. Even, you know, just, to, yeah, I think good art good art does that.
1: This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte, identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. welcome 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 everybody once again to way of the artist we've got a fantastic guest on the show today we've got PJ Reese on the show and let me tell you a little bit about him um, PJ has been a professional writer for 30 years and prior to that a filmmaker for 20 years and prior to that he had a short career as a hydro meteorologist in Africa and um, We'll probably talk a lot more about his travels as well because he's traveled to a lot of different places. Um, and uh, his name, PJ uh, Rees, PJ comes from a Sanskrit name he picked up at an ashram in India in the 1970s. So maybe we'll get into that as well. Uh, he has a number of books for sale on Amazon and in his current hometown in Gibson's British Columbia, Uh, and most notably, and probably most famously of his books, uh, he has a book called uh, Story Structure Expedition Journey to the Heart of a Story. Um, So excited to have you on the show. PJ, thanks for being with us.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Having never been a guest on a podcast, I'm anxious to see how this goes as well as you. So Carry on. Let's go.
2: <laughs> there's a first for everything. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, there's
1: not there's nothing to be concerned about really, you know. It's just we're all here having a conversation, seeing where it's going to go. We don't yeah. necessarily have any any pressing crazy questions. We'll just we'll just see uh, we'll just see where the universe wants to take us.
2: Good. Sounds good. Can I ask you to start off um, when did writing Kind of start in your life when did you kind of stumble upon it and then go like get more serious about it like what's the journey into like becoming a professional writer for you
0: good question and uh, i have almost a date almost an exact date in mind because i was a filmmaker really from my mid-20s right up until uh, my mid-40s and in that time, I had been a bit documentary filmmaker, mainly, Had traveled the world. My wife and I were raising a son, and we were both happy to be away from home part of the time. So it was one of us home with the kid. But yeah. eventually, the kid, who was a fantastic kid, we had a great time um, growing him up. But uh, we arrived in Vancouver, and uh, we weren't there long before he said, pups? You have to settle down. And I said, <laughs> "Why? And he said, "cause I've been to school for th- for seven years. He was thirteen years old. I've been to school for seven years, and I've attended fifteen different schools. And I <laughs> said, you, you, you're a liar. What are, what are you talking about? And he started listing them off in Edmonton, where we were, in Switzerland, where he was with his mother for a while, and then in Hawaii, and then in Oregon. And he was already in one school or, or two schools in, in Vancouver. Anyway, there were 15 schools. So he said, I, I need to settle down. Now I was just landing in Vancouver from Edmonton, and I could not quite fit into the um the film crew scene in Vancouver. It was a totally different scene to me. It was so corporate and cold. I, and it didn't take me much to figure out, okay, I gotta, I gotta stay home. I, I can't be out shooting. I'll become a writer. <laughs> and, and that was really it. That must have been that must have been, you know, the summer of eighty, eighty six, eighty five, eighty six, somewhere, somewhere in there. Yeah.
1: Wow. So there, there, there must have been a seed of something of writing that was there, you know, or was, there, or was there a few things that you were kind of tossing around, or was it was writing a, a a clear step for you at that moment?
0: Well, you know, I'd been on some very interesting shoots, and I remember one of them, which was quite recent, was. Um, Called the Last Harpoon, a documentary about the whalers down in the Caribbean on the island of Saint uh, in Saint Vincent and the Grenadines. The remnants of the Nantucket whalers. These are the the Caribbean crews, the descendants of the Caribbean whaling crews that the Nantucket whalers used to come down and pick up, you know, on their way out during the whaling season. These were those fishermen who would, who would every year for two or three months go chasing whales, and uh, they were still doing that. And uh, maybe they didn't, maybe they got one, maybe they didn't. But it was such an interesting shoot to go out on the water with these poor, poor fishermen chasing after whales on in little boats with, with, no, with no motor, just a sail and, and, and oars. And uh, it, it was a, a, a fantastic shoot, but it was fraught with political problems with the, the first lady of the country. And I, I, I was so cheesed with, with her that I started to write a little I started to write the story called The Last Harpoon, a screenplay. Um in, in which the um, yeah in, in which this this whale hunt got I almost I forget I forget how it played out at this point. But you know starred a, a, a starred a a um, a journalist, investigative journalist who was down there doing the story on it. So anyway that got me going. And I just wanted to get that screenplay done I rented a cabin on Gabrielle island for for two years, mainly for weekends, but I wound up staying there all the time. And uh, coming into town only on Wednesday to take writing courses at a little school called the Kootenai school of writing is on Broadway um, wonderful school people have fond memories of it. I don't know if it exists anymore, but um, that's what it, I came in from Gabrielle on Wednesdays and took the course and went back so that was. That was uh, for a couple of years. That was my training. Mm. So I came back into town and realized right, I had to make a living on this now. So I just started banging on doors of um, film companies down in Yaletown, um, producers that I knew, filmmakers I knew. And, and I, was, I was amazed how much work was just lying there, writing work was just lying there waiting for a writer to come along because these producers do not know how to write a letter, much less a treatment or you know a script. <laughs> So yeah, I, I managed to cobble together um, an existence as a writer through the um, uh, late '80s, early '90s, That's through the '90s, really. Yeah.
2: yeah, and you got like obviously really proactive about it by going out and knocking on doors and reaching out to people. And well,
0: you know, it was it was yeah. I'd have these I'd have contracts, and um, suddenly they dry up, right? Suddenly you're oh my god, I, I've got nothing else, I've got nothing to do. So I would go knocking on doors, and it was uncanny how. I'd, I'd stand at the secretary's, you know, the reception, I'd say, is, is, um, is Harold in, and, uh, and she'd say, I'll, call, I'll see you. so Harold would come out, and he'd say, PJ, we were just talking about you. A, you know, they weren't, they weren't talking about, but they needed somebody to write something. Yeah. <laughs> they came out of a meeting they just had half an hour ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it was being in the right place at the right time. Mm. And so I, I was just, you know, what I was doing was I was just trying to establish my name, myself as a writer. I mean, I would lie in bed at night during those years. Just, I remember just lying with looking at the ceiling saying, I am a writer. I am a writer. I am a writer. Because I had to go into these offices sounding like a writer, you know, sounding like I felt like I was a writer, that I knew I was a writer. And I think it was that, you know, that conviction that sort of grew. So finally, I had a reputation in the film community there as a writer. So,
2: yeah, no, I, I mean, I can totally relate to that. I think, um, you know, there's lots of great writers out there, but people who are not proactive about going out and connecting with people, which is something Evan and I used to talk about a lot when we started this podcast. We used to actually have this under a different name, but it was about where artistry meets industry. And we kind of talked a lot about how you take your art and you actually bring it to the industry and try to, you know, create something. Right. And I think what you just shared is a good example of that. And then on another note, like laying there in your bed saying, I'm a writer or looking in the mirror, whatever you're doing, I think like every person that wants to do something, we all struggle to some degree with, um, you know, like, who am I to do this? You know, that imposter syndrome kind of thing. And you kind of got to talk yourself into it. You got to kind of be like, okay, like, this is what I want to do. I am this, I'm going to do this. We're going to, you know, because you, you know, at a certain point, you just got to jump in, you know, and you got to give it a shot or you've never given it a shot at all. I think.
0: Yeah, that that's, that's so true because my the group of people, I grew up with a real smart bunch from school, you know, they were um, umpteen master's degrees. What one fellow was who turned out to be the editor in chief of the globe and mail for 10 years. And, and for them, I imagine I imagine they were looking at me, and and wondering what is he doing being a writer? Like we're the writers here, you know? right? Right. Um, but as it turns out, you know, I've I've published seven books, and you know, three of them with traditional presses and four or none, and um, and 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 they have not. What can I say? So um, I, I get these now. They're, they're scattered all over the place, but I often get these nice little emails. You know, congratulating me for doing exactly what you're talking about, you know, being proactive and just getting the job done and making and, and of course making a living, you know, I had to make a living. I had to make yeah. a living at this writer at this writing. I remember occasionally when I did run out of money, I would often answer an ad in the, the province, you know, to sell something. You know I, right. I, you know, I needed to pay the rent. So I would go down to some little warehouse on Anasis Island and 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 to see what they were selling. Because believe it or not, I used to love selling door to door to make money, <laughs> and I would make it quick. I'd, I'd go out for a month and just bust my ass selling anything, you know, water filters, memberships in the Western Canada Wilderness Committee, um, vacuum cleaners. I did vacuum cleaners. <laughs> uh, yeah. And in my spare time, I actually canvassed for, raise money for the Arthritis Society and multiple sclerosis and this sort of thing. I actually loved going door to door. That's amazing.
2: I mean that's yeah. such an important part. I, I, you know, like if there's one thing, well, there's two things that I always try to impart onto like artists and people that want to do something with their life that's not just status quo, is that, you know, one is that you gotta, you know, you 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 gotta just get over yourself and put yourself out there because you're never gonna feel good enough. You're never gonna feel like you're qualified. And I think the other thing too is like. I think we need to disregard a lot of the education that we get, because I actually think it's a, a backwards model where people learn and they think, oh, like there's the authority and they're going to teach me and then I'm going to learn enough and you never quite feel like you're there. And you got to realize at some point that you're the author of your life. You're the authority. And like, at some point you got to decide, like, this is my story this is my life. And I'm going to start telling it or living it, whatever you want to call it. Um, at some because yeah,
0: you have to become a black sheep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, wear,
0: I wear this around town, to to many people's chagrin. Um, but I think we need these black sheep these days. We need these people to, um, you know, to to to, you know, live live for for themselves, or you know, for to honor their you know, their own interests. And I, I, I often think. What if I was young today? You know, what would I do in this society that seems to be increasingly authoritarian or there seem to be fewer career paths? It all seems to hover around a computer. I would absolutely want to be an artist of some type today, just to just to just to get away from, you know, from that pressures of all that um business and mm. and you know, I mean a business where you have to sit at a computer all the time, you know. Do they, is there anybody doing door-to-door sales anymore? I doubt it. Yeah. Well, I mean, people, don't even it,
2: right? people don't want to pick up their phone anymore, you know, like, yeah. like yeah. text message or an email, right? Like there's so, so much little human connection, but when you break through that, like, you know, you, you call someone up and you actually get a conversation, it's, it can be extremely meaningful because, you know, people, they don't always have meaningful conversations. You know what I mean? They don't always have these personal connections because it's all so digital. Like it's also, we're all so removed from each other. And I think part of the artist thing is you're, you're, you're connecting people, whether it be through a script or a novel or maybe an acting performance, you're actually bringing people in and you're giving them human connection, right? Like that's what artists do. And you're sharing something that's inside of you very vulnerably, very openly, and and that's why I think a lot of people feel like they know actors, you know, they feel like they know them because they really good actors share something with you that makes you feel like I know who that guy is. or I know who that girl is or whoever. Right. It's like, um, but you don't, but they, but they shared something real. And that gives you like this kind of connection. Well,
0: I think actors, I've never been an actor. Yeah. Uh, I, in a way, wish I, I had been some, some, had some actor training. But I do know, sort of, somewhat, what they go through. At least um, some of the actors back in the day. Some of these, like almost encounter groups, you know, just tear tear yourself apart. You know, you get torn apart. You get your your bogusness exposed and and laid bare. I know, I know some of these actor training events were like that, and um, I, I went through that in in all my um, um, you know India India ashram days and. And before and, and after here in North America as well. So yeah, and and, and I, I sometimes wonder why that doesn't happen anymore. Because that's like radical surgery. It seems to work really quickly to um to find out how bogus our belief systems are and how they hold us back and and, and how to break through, you know, these um restricting beliefs we have. Anyway, that's well, another
2: I I know you want to jump in, Evan, but there's something I actually just to kind of second on that. Evan and I did uh, this course called the mastery. I did it twice. Evan and I did it once together later on. And, um, but but it was both times were great, but the first time that I did it, I was probably only 17, 18 years old. And there's this part during this, uh, intensive weekend where everyone stands up and they share something like a monologue, something about their life, right? It's like. they they share their story. It's, it's kind of a part of the whole thing. And I remember at 17 never hearing anything like this in my entire life. And I felt like I had a glimpse into humanity that I was so like on the outside of, like, I didn't even know existed. And I started to understand people and their struggles and, and how I related to them, even though I hadn't experienced what they had experienced. And, um, some of the stories they were telling almost seemed like things that didn't even happen in real life. I, at that point, like, I honestly thought this stuff happens in movies or shows, but this is not real life. Right. And I was just like, it, it transformed my life forever, you know? And I think that when you don't get these kind of deep human connections, when you don't like really see the inside. Of what's going on with other people you can feel very alone in the world and also be very disconnected from your own self because you know it's this whole world that maybe you feel like you have to hide right hide from the world but i think art makes you go i'm not going to be scared of hiding that anymore i'm going to bring that out i'm going to you know i'm going to put that onto the page you know or put that into the performance or the artwork or the music or whatever
0: yeah Anyway, yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's... I, I relate to a, a of... <laughs> Everyone's just
2: nodding. Looking...
0: No, I, <laughs> but some, some, sometimes I see people, uh, I, I see people that I think they need a good shakeup. You say you should go to Pune and do an, do an encounter group. Pune, India is where, is where I used to go. Yeah. Yeah. Radical mm. surgery. Yeah. You know, a weekend, five days, done. Never be the yeah. same.
1: Yeah. No, those, those sort of deep, um, Explorations of yourself. I think that, you know, if anyone who's seriously considering being an artist or taking something that they do and taking it to a level of artistry, there's there that I would say necessitates a deep exploration of self. You know, there's gotta be you've you've gotta you've gotta dig underneath uh, all of those layers of, of conditioning, like you were, you were mentioning all those deep layers of, of conditioning and, and, and our beliefs and things like that in order so that we can really kind of get to the, um, you know, we can really get to the, get to the gold, really get to, um, what, what is the thing that really animates us? What is the thing that, that kind of goes underneath, um, even the, the desire to do art in itself, like what what kind of comes even before that?
0: Yeah, yeah, what is that? What is this desire to do art? That's an interesting question. Yeah.
1: Do you have some thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Well, I mean, I never considered myself an artist. I still don't, you know. I was just somebody who, who wanted to get out into the world and, and live as much as I could and travel, and, and I wound up writing a, you know, and and it was a real solution. it was a real perfect for me in in my my journey um but um what was the question uh, what what is our you know i think well this is um i think it derives from tell me, tell me what do you think about this i think it derives from the the rift between what society wants for us and what the spirit wants for us because they're two totally different things mm Society, we set up societies so we're safe, right? And so everything's, everything's, everything works for us. We can, where yeah. things are easy, you know? but mainly safety. But, you know, the spiritual j- journey requires absolutely the opposite. Absolutely the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's getting anywhere if they, they sit on their couch nice and safe. And so and so we the, we have to leave home, you know? We have to get in that boat and head up the Congo River. Um, and and society doesn't want you to do that. Society doesn't want people out there um, breaking the rules and being black sheep. And so, yeah, I just see, I see those some basic rift between what society wants of us and what, what our essential, what we need for our greatest happiness. They're just two completely different things.
1: Is yeah. is that is that a theme that you would say you um, you explore yes. in your writing a lot?
0: <laughs> well, I, I think I think if I was to write a memoir, which I don't think I'll, I'll do, but I, I have, I, I can see you know about six or seven stages from my life starting when I was six years old and coming. I mean, I, I, I can list these seven stages if you want, or however many there are, um, but right up to to studying fiction. <laughs> it, it goes right from when I was six years old. I, I fell through a house under construction. I was six years old, landed on the concrete floor, um, thought I was gonna die, had a satori, really. Um, saw myself dying, couldn't breathe, couldn't move. And it was okay. You know, it was okay, whatever was happening. And you know not not that i I didn't think about that for years and years and years and years, but it always but, um, I did remember it as if it happened yesterday when when i when I he dwelled on it. Anyway, from that right through a number of um uh, travels, um the things that happened to me in Africa, dangerous situations I got into, which threw me into much the same situation. And that is, I was helpless, helpless, I couldn't. I couldn't physically get myself out of that situation. I couldn't think my way out of that situation. So the mind became a useless thing, and 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 I just you know you just give up. You surrender, <laughs> and 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 then once that once the surrender happens, you see you know you see clearly. So through um through um, the the my Rajneesh years in in, in India, um through um. Becoming a very good friend of a psychologist, Dr. Dubrowski, who had a theory of positive disintegration. That's a whole long story, but I won't go into it right now. But but again, it, it just briefly, had, his theory of mental development was that we we go through a series of psychic disintegrations, right? Um, and ever and reemerge, we integrate on a higher level each time, higher level. So that was a big part of my life in in the 70s. And then when I started to study fiction. I started to see, and I was reading scripts for producers. I was writing my own, and, and uh, honestly, I can remember it was watching Moonstruck. Share in Moonstruck, and um, you know, there's a there's a woman who has this belief system that's killing her. She, she, love is, is is love is love is hurts. Love hurts. It's, like, it's a common theme in movies. Like love hurts. So, so I'm not gonna let love anywhere near me. Mm-hmm. Of course, Nicolas Cage goes to work on it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and finally when he can, gives this great speech after the opera. You guys see the movie, Moonstruck?
1: It's been a while since I've seen okay, it. Okay, well, you know. But it's a Shanley script, and I yes, love John it, Patrick it Shanley. Is John
0: Patrick Shanley. And, uh, I, you know, it was interesting watching him receive the Academy Award for that. I think that also made me want to write screenplays. Anyway, she she comes to believe that, see, that she comes to see, not thinking through, but she comes to see that her Belief systems that she's held that love hurts is killing her, right? It's going to ruin her life. And she gives, she surrenders that belief system and goes off with, you know, with the brother of the guy she's engaged to. So, um, anyway, yes, fiction was sort of the capper for me. I realized that everything that I'd learned about about, uh, surrendering our our sense of self, our bogus sense of self, our phantom sense of self. Everything about that, that's what films are about. <laughs> Every hero mm. reaches this point where they have to, they realize their strategies are no good. The strategies have only brought them pain. I mean, what about the the artist? Remember the artist a few years ago, that French film that looked like a, a black and white to silent movie? Yeah. yeah. They dragged that guy. I couldn't believe that. They took away so much from him, you know, his career, his money, his home, his everything. I couldn't believe it. they kept taking stuff away from him. I was expecting the film to reach its, um, you know, the second act crisis. They, get they just kept destroying this guy, um, and I, 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 I could see exactly what what the writers were doing. Even I don't think writers often know that what they're doing. In this case, they just know they have to, um, they have to bring that character to a point. Where he no longer hangs on to his old self, you know, his past, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's what I've been doing with writing ever since. And that's what story structure uh, expedition journey to the heart of a story is all about. Okay. Also, a little ebook I wrote called Story Structure to Die For, mm. which is um, a forty-page ebook. Um, it came out in two thousand twelve, and it's made more money at, at two ninety-nine on. Amazon's made more money than all the other books combined. (laughs) Uh, That's amazing. So yeah, the hero must die. That's the message. Yeah. The hero must die. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you have
2: to, you do, you have to, you have to, you have to die to your ego, you know, this, this, this identity of, you know, and I think that the interesting thing about watching, watching a transformation in a film, I think something that's very fascinating is you find somebody who they don't have they don't have the things at the beginning that would allow them to be able to do whatever it is they need to do. And then they find it along the way. And that can be quite inspiring because it's like, I think a lot of the time as an artist or just anybody who's doing their life, they don't feel like, like right now, it's like, I have these dreams, right? And it's like, I don't feel like I add up to being able to do it. And maybe in this moment, that's true. But if I die to my ego, I can become that thing that would be able to do it. So when you have a vision or something, um, you shouldn't base it on the fact that who you are today is all you'll ever be. Like, you're going to go down this journey and you're going to, you're going to stumble. You're going to, you're going to fall. You're going to come across some things.
0: I think but, it's good to know that. Yes. But I don't think you can orchestrate your own, um, calamity. <laughs> you know, nobody in the right mind would do that. So you've got to continue thinking you're the greatest and you're going to do it. Like if somebody thought that, okay, I need to, I need to disintegrate. That'd be an interesting story because they they would, but not in the way they thought, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. And how would you know what was the right thing for you? You know, if, if you try to do it, like, Oh, I'm going to orchestrate my own calamity. Like how would you know that that's the right thing you need? Because You don't know what you need until you find yourself in the situation where it's demanded of you.
0: Yeah, I'm writing a story right now, a, a young adult novel. I have, I have a youth thing going on here. I have, I have a, I have a commitment to, to help kids. That's another story, but um, yeah, think it's called How to Steal a Rolls Royce, and it's a father-son road story, and then the kid has to come to this realization. Um, it, he always he figures he's owed like he he's owed by his father because his father's not been around, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's got that's what his grudge, you know. That's his that's his default grudge, but he has to so so he that's his belief system. So I've got to destroy that. Mm. Now, so anyway, to cut the to chase. In the end, of course, he realizes that he owes his father. Okay, in, in simplest terms, that he owes his father, in ways that he never knew. Mm. So that that's that's the um, that's the switch in his belief system.
1: Mm. so this is maybe like this was a question that uh i kind of wanted to ask earlier but now seems to be the perfect moment it seems to have naturally come up now um so you you studied writing you did your your work You, you you trained in in doing that but you've also written your own books about story um was there something that I mean, and maybe we've already been talking about it and touching on it, but was there something that you weren't getting in what you, in how you were trained to write that made it necessary for you to write these books on, on storytelling?
0: Yeah, it was, it was, hmm. I, I, you know, the, the Joseph Campbell's stuff, the hero's journey. And he would get to the inmost cave, right? That's, that's. Basically, the Act to crisis, I think, and um, and and yes, it was a you know, it was the Dark night of the Soul, blah blah blah, and man, any all all writers, um, McKee, you know, McKee, McKee's, fan, Robert, McKee's fantastic. On the, um, he comes closest to what I think, but it, so many of these man writing manuals would describe that event as the hero like reaching into his little bag of tricks and pulling out, you know, funny deciding, deciding that he's going to be sincere or real or authentic or whatever. If, if he's deciding, he's still in deciding mode, and he's got, and there's got to be some more scenes to destroy him. till so he gives up everything his mind coughs up, everything that his mind um, will, will come up with. No more strategies, absolutely no more strategies. It's it's a it's a complete psychic disintegration, complete surrendering, and then you see. You know, Prost, Prost, Marcel Prost talks about the um, the veil of habit, the veil of habit, which and conditioning, which when it lifts, you know, you 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 see the whole universe. You know, so it's just that. Our beliefs just obstruct the view. Anyway, to get back to your question, I realized that none of these manuals were talking about that that crisis as really a spiritual event. It was an mm-hmm. awakening in the purest form. And I look at all these movies in those scenes, like the Share movement, and my God, um, uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting. You know the crisis in Goodwill Hunting when Mark uh, or Matt Damon is with Robin Williams. God, I can't even think that scene without choking up, mm-hmm. you know, he's just, you know, he's not deciding anything. <laughs> he's falling apart. And, uh, and, and he just, he sees, you know, he sees his life um, for what it is. And if he if he proceeds one more step along the way that he's been behaving his whole life, you know, he might as well kill himself. That's what it comes to. You might as well kill yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, in, in the, in the artist, that's the, that's the scene he has actually has a gun in his mouth. I think, in that scene, he's gonna he's gonna blow his head off. So I felt, yeah, I felt. Um, where's that book? I felt uh, that um, that Joseph Conrad's *Heart of Darkness*. I don't know. Have you read that? You know, *Trip Up the Congo River*. It's I, the most I've incredible. I started thing. it uh, like um, Joseph, years ago.
1: I had started it. I never I never completed um, Joseph it. Joseph Conrad, as
0: far as I'm concerned, he wrote that story. And this is what this is right this is this is this is a trip up the congo river following joseph uh, joseph conrad's um riverboat captain um river as a metaphor for story mm. where he gets up there so far he's so far from home nothing makes sense nothing he thinks works you know and his he gets his mind blown basically and and that's what um that's what the Act two crisis is about that's what I was trying to say that this is a this is a spiritual event, and uh, I've been banging on that drum for, um, mm. for some time. Interestingly, when I wrote that little uh, story structure to die for, I had this amazing response from a woman in New York. She was an editor. She said she's been teaching creative writing for 35 years, and she never understood what story was about until she read my little book. <laughs> so that was a... That well, was it's a, like...
1: I, I think that... that yeah yeah no no kidding I mean it's I think that it's so interesting because what you're saying it's it's one of those things like this spiritual nature where it's like it's something that whenever you hear it it feels so new even though it's nothing new at all to a certain extent I hope I didn't say anything offensive there (laughs) to you in this but but it's um I've, i found the same thing. I, I've, I've got a, a book that I'm self publishing for actors because there were certain things that I was learning and seeing about acting that I just was not getting from any of my teachers. And I said, why is this not there? And there's a spiritual slant to that whole, to the whole thing, um, which, you know, we, we're kind of in, in the world we're in that very much as, um, tried to steer away from anything that we might call spiritual as being, you know, unnecessary or as being an an antiquated idea. And yet um, to me, it's, it's some of these um, it's some of these things that come from our oldest wisdom traditions uh, that, that have so much to say, you know, and, and, that isn't as definable i I find that like we live kind of in a culture that that hates this sense of mystery that has this sort of despise like that kind of despises being in an unknown space which is you know precisely the area where creativity thrives is precisely the area where um transformation occurs i don't know if i have a a question here but um, <laughs> in all of that, but just, just, I don't know. Do you like? I, I'm just really um touched by by what you're bringing back into this sort of something that I feel is is has been neglected.
0: Yeah, well, art to be an artist really is to be a rebel in, in this society that's getting increasingly homogenous and increasingly. Um, um, um acquiescent or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's, that's why I would have to be a, an artist if I was younger, again, as a survival technique and nothing else. But um, um, there's a little quote where this comes from, a little note about freedom here. The most vital among us would rather die than live without freedom the most vital among us would rather die than live without freedom. Most people are rather too fearful of death to value freedom. And I think that's what's happening today, mm. this whole COVID thing. Yeah. So they've lost the plot of life. Most people have lost the plot of life. And artists artists need to, um, artists, artists are needed, I think, to uh, tell me, uh, sometimes I think that all art is aimed at destroying our belief systems. Okay, because otherwise, what? It's just decoration. I mean, I, I love to, I love a good decoration, but that's what it is. So to destroy or or shake up at least our belief systems. Even you know, just a uh, yeah. I think good art. Good art does that.
2: I, yeah, I agree with that. I think that's totally true. One of my favorite films that's ever been made is a, a film called Fight Club. Have you ever seen that?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Chuck Palahniuk wrote the novel, which is equally awesome. But um, this book um, and this story and this movie—you um, know, 1999—I was about 16, and uh, it was profound for me. Such a such a shifting. Uh, experience i didn't even know what to think of it when i walked out of the theater i was like in a daze and i was probably in a daze for about 2 weeks just walking around going what did i see what happened there like mm. something has happened like i've changed i don't like and i was so young i didn't know how to articulate anything and then all of a sudden i had a realization that i was like like i think i i think i know what happened now, the thing is is like there was Um, This speech where he talks about and he says we have no great war, we have no great depression, our war is a spiritual war, our great depression is our lives, and at that time I was watching my parents go through a divorce, they had built up all this money they'd become millionaires, and we were losing everything, and I remember my dad coming to me and saying a lot of things are going to change. You know, you're going to be living in a smaller place and all of this stuff, which I went from living in a mansion to living in a trailer park, just to give you an idea how extreme it was. And I remember being like, I don't care. I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't care that we're losing the boat and the Porsche and all this shit. I don't care. My family is splitting up and everybody seems to be so angry and so upset and, 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 I realized that none of this material shit matters anymore. Like this whole idea that that and I had been indoctrinated up until I was 16 into like you got to be famous, you got to be successful, you got to be a millionaire, you got to do all this stuff. And I'd say that the change occurred at 16. I wouldn't say that I had the full epiphany at 16. That took probably another decade to like really solidify, but it was the beginning stage of, of transformation and this idea, um, you know, of what was normal and what was usual kind of like dying away because this anarchy of almost like just living into this system, you know, and um, it was weird because like, I didn't even know what I saw, and, you know, but the art can do that. and And it was so ahead of its time. Um, That a lot of people didn't even understand it at the time. But now, you know, if you talk to people about it, obviously everybody knows about it because it became so famous. And, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think there's a certain amount of like, I feel like to kind of like further my point, I feel like right now people think that we can somehow be happy as machines that you can somehow just follow the path of life and do what you're told. And someone can, can be your authority and you'll somehow be happy. And I just, I just personally don't believe that's true. I think you have to, you have to be willing to go off on your own and, and find your own way and find your own life. And if you don't, I think you're going to be uh, you know, all the materialism, no matter how much success you get, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think you're going to find out that it's all empty and that you've been you've been fooled, you know, and that real fulfillment comes from within. It comes from with finding this spirit inside yourself, you know,
0: and people better learn that early on. Um, if you learn that, I think as a kid, you really, really carry that through, through your life. I see a lot of people in like my age now who are retired and, and they're, they don't know what to do with themselves and retirement, you know, lasts forever now, you know, yeah. last decades and uh, people are, yeah, they're sort of desperate for some, some meaning and
2: um, yeah yeah because you know like all that stuff you have all that money like it's not going to give you meaning i mean it might help you facilitate things you know it's not bad to have money and have things but like without purpose without meaning without connection like none of that stuff matters
0: no no here's an interesting thing i just came came upon recently reading a book um stephen jenkinson he's he's sort of a lives down in ottawa valley He's, he's sort of a death guru he Tens people and dying, and and he's worried about the elders in our community. Now that I brought that up, and and it's true that youth do not respect old people anymore, and I don't blame them. You know, I don't blame youth for, for all sorts of reasons. The world is, you know, is is not offering them much these days. If you ask me, and and also old people, what are they doing? They, they have most of the wealth for one thing, and they're just trying to spend it. They're just trying to extend their middle age. They're they're not gracefully going into old age. They're they're traveling everywhere, you know, and they're, and spending and you know. Of course, the classic example is some old guy who buys a Porsche. You know, it's sort of pathetic. Um, but so youth see old people as as not elders. They're not elders. They're old, but they're not elders because I think, and I think, it's because they haven't. Mm embraced loss they haven't embraced loss and that's what I think old people need to do they need to learn that to give up all this consumption and and, and this like I say, extended middle age nobody get nobody wants to get old anymore but um, I think young people need to see old people who have embraced the end um so that they they know that we don't live forever. <laughs> It's it's just unbecoming of an old person yeah. to dress hip and drive a fast car and and you know. Anyway, don't get me going on that. No, no, that that's that <laughs> that that
1: that really like you you uh you you took uh you took a little bit of my breath away there with that one one statement to be uh to be honest there, like um the that distinction between um between we have old people and not elders. Um, that hits. That hits something for me. I'm probably going to be thinking about that after we finish this mm. conversation. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have anywhere to go from there necessarily, but that <laughs> well, just. <laughs> you know, I would say that
2: like the thing about elders. You know, you look back to our lineage of humanity, right? It's like elders were the mentors. They were like the guides. They 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 gave you. Um, they were there to give younger people a certain amount of appreciation for their lives to, to recognize the connections they had made at the end. And, um, you know, you, I think as you become older, you know, you be, you go through this invincible stage in your younger years, but then you become vulnerable once again, almost like a, a child to some degree, you know, you, you start to, your health becomes, uh, you know, it's just like, there's, there's you're not going to be going out fighting the wars anymore. You know, you're not going to be go doing the battle. And so the elder person, um, with their wisdom and their experience has a certain amount of, you know, like understanding for the journey, because I think when you're young and you're invincible, you're actually quite confused because you're not convinced you're not invincible. You think you are, but you're not invincible. You know what I mean? And, I think part of the problem with youth is that people think they'll live forever. And so then their goals and their dreams, they go, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that later. You know, uh, yeah, you know, I don't like this job, but I'm going to work it for a little while longer. You know I mean? And they just keep putting it off, putting it off. And the elder is there to say like, you're going to die. And, and, and I'm, and I'm lucky for every day I have alive right now. And I, you know, I appreciate it, but like, Young people don't—they—they they think they're going to live forever, right? And—and and one day you're not going to have it in you. You're not going to have the—the—the the, the chance, the opportunity. You might not even be alive to—to to live. And you know you're going to have to face yourself at the end, right? And I think the elders—they uh, help young people have an appreciation or respect for their youth. You know, there's that saying, uh, "Youth is wasted on the young." <laughs> I think it's true. <laughs> I think like a lot yeah. of time. People don't realize like you got, you know, you got a chance to, to go, you know, and, and if you really are like, you know, if you have this, this passion, you know, like now's the time, you know, like stop waiting around. Like today's the day, you know, you got to go for it because.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, well, that raises a couple, a couple of questions. I can think of one of them right now. Let's sure. one? Well, the first one, I can't keep them both in my head at the same time. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean i started traveling when i was 17 my grandfather took me to the, the old country to play golf at saint andrews okay and that that opened my eyes i was from edmonton i was a prairie boy i remember being in downtown in soho in london at four o'clock in the morning and going whoa you know, my life began in soho at four o'clock in the morning when i, when I was 17. <laughs> and so that subsequently i just kept traveling after high school i spent a year in europe um bumming around and it was it was just i've traveled ever ever since but does everybody Does everybody have that opportunity? Does everybody have that inclination? Does everybody have the the ability, their financial or whatever? Uh, I, m- I remember I was on a film shoot up in northern BC. We were doing some economic film on mining and whatnot. We had much of left. The, the crew was pretty much left. I mean, we all were back then, um, politically left. And um, I was going on with my little sort of spiritual thing, you know, I <laughs> think. The director was in the front. Said so he got pissed off at me. He said, "PJ, um, not everybody, you know, can. Where's your pants or whatever? Not not everybody has the opportunity that you you've had, and you've got to remember that. But not everybody has the that the potential, you know, um, to to be free or smart or or whatever. Um, I know." Um, yeah even um even a psychopath it really isn't to blame in a way cuz they they are born with no developmental potential according to Dabrowski, according to me. they're born without the developmental potential they're you know we see them as assholes they've got to be locked up to protect our society you know but in a way it's not their fault so let's let's not go to that extreme but but just um how responsible are is everybody to um to but for their own um, journey. I don't know. That's, that's a question I don't know the answer to really. But sometimes it just makes me uh, step back and not be so critical of people who can't. Hey, it's Evan
1: with a quick public service announcement. If you're enjoying the conversation you're hearing and finding it helpful, then please help us and take a second to subscribe to the podcast. And we can all be people helping other people. And that's awesome. Now back to the show.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, I think that there's, I think the thing is, is like, yeah, not everybody is going to like, there's going to be a certain time in your life. Right. I think the thing is, is that's, that's the thing is like, can you hear it? Are you ready to hear it? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, everybody's in their own stage and I don't like, there's lots of stuff that when I was younger, I'm like, Oh, I wish I knew this when I was younger, but you know, you learn it when you learn it. And um, you know, I, I think, Um, but my point here, I think was this, like the elder person or the person who has maybe a little life experience. I think it's important that people encourage younger people to go for it instead of play it safe, you know, do everything right. Make sure you're okay. Like, don't, don't waste your life on trying to be safe. I think like that's, that's poor advice. You know, I think you, you know, I think, yeah, you, you need to take some concession. You need to like, uh, be responsible to some degree learn some responsibility but at the same time i mean like you know this life man like it can pass you by and then you're mm-hmm. you you've, you haven't even lived it
0: well yeah i my my mission at this point especially in writing this third young adult novel i i i want to address it to boys I want It want to be a boy's book because i feel for boys in in this day and ages culture i think they're getting short shrift i think they're back getting screwed over but um, so as a, as an elder, I would like to be an elder. So I'm, that's my quandary. How do? What's the? What's my? What's appropriate behavior for somebody my age in in, this, in these times? So I'm writing this book. That's what I do, and I'm hoping that they'll they'll read it. <laughs> now, more and more, I I think you know I ask around, asking parents. You know, would your 15 year old son you know, read a read a, a book? You know. Well, they don't, read, they don't read books. They don't read books. Um, I, I was in the Roberts Creek Library a, a couple of weeks ago. It was my Anyway, my wife was delivering her new novel there. She's got a new novel. Um, and I was asking the librarian, I said, in your time here, has ever a 15-year-old boy come into this library to take out a book? And she went, I don't think so. So I, I realized I'm in trouble. You know, my, my business plan is, is probably not going to work. And I'm thinking of, Upgrading my story to be like um in fact, I'm not calling it a book, I'm calling it a was calling it a, a movie for a young person on the verge of life. But now I'm thinking of calling it a movie for the 16 year old in all of us. Mm. Something like that, so that so that uh so that it just we'll get to find a broader audience. So that's yeah. my quandary these days. Um but anyway, um I am gonna target kids. In various other ways too. Yeah,
1: I think that I mean that's. I now that I've had a little bit of time for you know, this all sort of to this this can of worms that you sort of opened up here, <laughs> to to work on me a little bit. You know I, I'm, I can just I, I I sense in my own self, and I think that there's probably a lot of other people who are you know, my age and, and younger, cause like, you know, we're in our thirties, um, but younger it's just, um, acknowledging that the, that sort of feeling that you, you gave me in that distinction you made is just how much there's actually such a deep need, a sense of a deep need and craving for elders, you know, for elders that, that to look up to with, respect um because very often you know like in my um to a lot of the boomers (laughs) and the boomers get the boomers get crapped on quite a bit too now these days especially by (laughs) by youth but um you know the boomers as, as i understand like they were sort of it's been identified that um narcissism is sort of the collective condition of of the boomers and uh and it's a challenge to to find to to try and find wisdom when you're looking at at something like that. Not that there it isn't there, but um, I don't for, even from uh, in my own sort of relationship with um, you know with with my own parents who are who are lovely lovely people. Um, I don't. They're not even necessarily people that I look to for advice, um, and and so now I'm just sort of questioning as to, well, why is that? What's that? What's that all about? You know, when you're when you're looking to elders to give you answers and or to to have something to say and and you just don't think that it's going to be there that there's anything to be found there. It's an interesting sort of belief, I guess, that I'm, I'm, I've been walking around with and caring that probably needs some shattering (laughs) at some point. (laughs) Yeah. So,
2: and unless you had something to say, I was going to ask you like, um, you seem to have traveled the world a lot and were called to, to go out and explore and you know, experience new things and new cultures and stuff like that. Like, why? Why was that? What? What got you for, to go from basically being like, you know, a farm boy <laughs> to being like a world traveler?
0: Interesting. Yeah, not exactly a farm boy. I did live in I did live in okay. city, <laughs> but but yeah, no. I tell you, I, I think characterized my youth. It was it was just the most. Sort of normal, blissful, blissfully normal uh, existence in Edmonton. Um, you know, nothing but opportunity. It was just sports. You know, I mean, just sports and and school. And I loved school. I, I, I was captain of all these sports teams. I, yeah, I was. I, I was. I, I don't remember. I don't remember much. Many crises or, or stress at all. And yet something something was obviously in me um, to start questioning and 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 becoming a contrarian, which is what I'm afraid I am. contrarian. I, I, it, it may have it may have that six year old accident may have had something to do with it because it shook my body up and definitely shook my mind up. I mean, I used to skate around the rink. You know, there's this ice rink in the local community. I don't know whether you ever had the pleasure. Mm-hmm. But every community had its own ice rink. And we'd skate around, social skating. But I would skate around the opposite way. For some reason, I, had, I could bite, my skates could bite in going clockwise, as opposed to everybody going anti-clockwise. And um, so that was the first of my contrarianism. What were we talking about? What was the question?
2: Well, uh, just like what inspired you to go traveling, oh,
0: yeah. right? I and, remember. So there was there was something obviously in me, but I remember reading Lawrence Durrell. You know, you know Lawrence Durrell. He wrote. Um, he's a British writer. He wrote a, a quartet of books called the Alexandria Quartet. It was four books from four different points of view of this group of people in Alexandria, Egypt, um, and. They were they were British I guess they're British and Egyptian they they were all friends they were in exotic this exotic location they all had relationships with each other you know philosophical political sexual the whole thing and I think I saw that that life that that appealed to me a lot to me that was life to have this close knit group of friends who were all friends and lovers and um and I think that's what that may have been. What got me started traveling away from home and 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 really valuing friendship, valuing close friends. Maybe that's why I wound up in this ashram in Pune. You know, you know the Rajneesh story. of um of Sri Rajneesh. He had that he had that uh, that commune in Oregon a number of years oh, ago. Oh
1: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: The the guy with all the Rolls Royces and all. that. Oh, anyway. you,
2: were, you were part of like uh, the Wild Wild Country?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay,
2: yeah. so you were part of that whole. Yeah, like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. So show would yeah. you? Osho.
0: So
2: would you call that? A, would you call that a cult?
0: <laughs> um, it sure looks like a cult, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, the word doesn't. I don't care if it is a cult or not. Um, yeah. Uh, it, uh you know, a good time was had by all. Yeah. Uh, and um, and I, 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 for sure, if you're an outsider, you you can't you can't it'd be difficult to glean what was going on inside, you know. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, and of course, the whole the whole thing about Rajneesh or Osho was was destroy destroy your beliefs, you know. That was the whole thing. That's right. why that's why his his ashram in India was a was the supermarket of therapies, back in the in the '70s. All the all the the best leaders, group leaders from California. And around the world in Germany, they all showed up in pune and they were all giving these groups and they were heavy duty and they were you know, yeah i know you you got your beliefs shaken you got reduced to a puddle and uh and, but it was all in this um cocoon of love you know it was everybody was there to support everybody i mean that was the whole point of whole point of it is you you disintegrate and and you know and we're there for you because yeah. um because the aftermath is so important you know of being
2: mm-hmm. so I'm, well can i can, i'm curious about this because uh it w- from the documentary right it seemed like it was amazing like in a certain way for everybody who was involved at least in the beginning of it all but then things seemed to go terribly wrong yeah, like yeah. down down the road like were you were you still a part of it at that point or you kind of left or like what was your experience of that i'm no i think
0: it was Pretty pretty much accepted that that woman who managed the ranch, yeah. Sheila, was was a bit of a psychopath, right? And and she she clearly did not her, her state of mind. I mean, maybe she needed to be tough, but most people thought, "What the fuck is she doing?" You know, um, just destroying it as far as we were concerned, right? Um, and and so yeah, and then yeah, so it came to an end, and yeah. um, and we have all went our different ways probably was time for it to pack up anyway. Although, um, yeah, no, I think, uh, it, it certainly changed my
2: life. Right.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: it, it seems was, like, I mean, you know, like with this type of stuff, it seems like there's a certain kind of, um, like when, when people come together in, in a state of love and connection and all of these good things, like some of the best part of humanity comes out. Right. But then, if some type of authoritarian thing comes in and tries to manipulate that and use that and, and control and direct it, they can take a good thing and make it bad. You know what I mean? Because, um, you know, like I I've had kind of an experience of, of something like that where, you know, um, it's like a group of people doing really good things together, but if something is behind it, that's not good. If there's something that's kind of directing it, um, they can take your trust and your good values and your connections and use that all against you in a way. Um, and when you watch the documentary, which I did, I I found like you can kind of see how you could get all swept up in this and really kind of enjoy that. And I don't really remember how it all kind of played out at the end, but I just remember it it seemed to go really, really bad. And, uh, these kind of very well-intended good people kind of got taken advantage of that's that's kind of what, what i observed
0: you mean the well-intended the 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 red people themselves
2: yeah 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 yeah
0: i don't think they got taken advantage of they just they just um they realized they think they, they had their fun and now the now the now it was sort of ruined and so right. let's go home you know
2: oh okay i um, see i see
0: yeah i don't think um because there was just yeah i think we just blamed it all on sheila and of mm-hmm. course you know the osho himself had to take some blame too sure um and you know he's, he's just a human being, you know. Right. He 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 maybe he lost his enlightenment. Who knows? Right. You know, maybe he got drawn back into his personality. Yeah, I don't want to speculate. Uh, I got yeah. out of there just before the end. Um, you know. Yeah, he he had said in that previous year. You know, the experiment is over. Right. Um, uh, you know, go go and go and live the best way you can. So. um mm. But, you know, the whole Pune years, we, we, amongst people like myself, we, we talk about the, the Pune years as opposed to the ranch years in, in Oregon. Uh, right. Quite different experiences.
1: Yeah. Right. So um, that's where you, uh, you got your name PJ. Is that correct? No.
0: Yeah, yeah, it stands for um, Parajeo. The Sanskrit word is Parajeo. And uh, it, it means beyond defeat. Beyond defeat. Mm. Nice, it's coming in useful these days. <laughs> as I'm, a, I'm a contrarian around town, and um, I'm having to uh, having to uh, get centered, get really centered, um, as the storm rises around me. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Brandon, what are you thinking? Should we uh, should we take a, a quick little? We're a little past the one hour mark. Should we have a little? a little beverage break and then maybe dive into some uh dive into some questions sounds good to me all right well um i can go first if you want sure uh i'm drinking a a beer from where is this from i'm trying there's so many different i haven't had this one before and i'm trying to understand where this comes from okay so this is from La La Cervecería Astilleros. and uh, for the very Spanish name, it's uh, it. This is it's a from North Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> 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 um, and this is called the uh, Cara Cara Orange Safflower Blonde Ale. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, oh. it's good. It's nice. good. Yeah, no, I, uh, it's been, it's been an enjoyable kind of, yeah, like it's got that little hit of like, of orange that's in, and zest and whatever in there and citrus. And, uh, it's really nice. No complaints here. Right on. Well, mine's, uh, (laughs)
2: pretty mainstream today. Uh, (laughs) I just, uh, I had, I had it lying around and I didn't feel like running off to grab some, some other beer. So I'm having a Miller Genuine Draft. Oh, <laughs> not very, not very artisanal. No, not very. This is the least artistic beer I've ever had on the show. Um, but you know, that's a fact. It is. A, it's a nice little light beer. I mean, some people don't like it. Some people do. Um, but it's warm today, and I wanted a light beer, and I had it. So there you go,
0: Miller Time. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got a. I was going to, if we were going to do this later in the day, I, I was going to drink my Persephone, which is a brewery just down up, up, the, up the road. But um, because this was only earlier in the day, I'm, I'm drinking my favorite, um, it's closed to holly. You get this at London Drugs, cheap, and it is the best non-alcoholic beer. I, I defy you to think this is not beer. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I drink a lot of this.
1: <laughs> I haven't tried that one. I'll lunch. take yeah. a look. Yeah. Excellent. All right. All right. Okay, DJ. we got some
2: we got some questions. We got our our guest questions. Um they're easy enough, but they open up they open up a little bit. So, I'll start. Um what's the most important book you've ever read?
0: Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad 1899 Trip up the Congo River to re, to re, to repatriate um, of an ivory trader named Kurtz, you may have seen this story reprised in *Apocalypse Now*. Um, by what's his name? Mar- well, Marlon Brando was no, in Marlon, it. Marlon Brando and uh, Martin Sheen and uh, Martin, yeah. and, and um, what's the Capola? Capola, the director. Yeah, Cap- Fra- C- Francis yeah. Ford
1: uh, Francis Coppola. C-Capla. Yeah,
0: I, I say that. Um, yeah, I, I guess that would be that would be. It's a, I certainly refer to it a lot. Uh, Heart, of, *Heart of Darkness* and. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think he's, I think it's, he's trying to describe the human condition. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Anything else you'd like to know about it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what, what more, would, is there anything more you'd like to say about it? You know, like it's, uh, it is a classic and I, and I've, and it's been sort of one of those books that I've just not dove into yet, but it's one that I've been aware of for a very long time.
0: Yeah i think it's the greatest depiction of a of a person traveling as far from home as possible and um and it's a very interesting moment when he's he sails down from the from london and he's about to go he's he's off the coast of the congo and he's about to go inland up the river and he's talking about he's looking at his maps and he sees the river on a map and he likens it to a snake, okay. Winding, winding to the river. And he and he likens himself to a canary, a little canary, some little bird who's hypnotized by the eyes of the snake. And he just has to go in there. He just has to go in there, you know, and, and mm-hmm. to, to check out this snake or this or this 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 river. So it's, it just speaks to that that quality in, in any adventurous person to, to leave home. I mean, it makes no sense to leave home. You leave, leave all your security, all your friends. Why, you know? What does that draw to be to come undone? What does that draw to come undone? Because that's the risk. And I think that's the risk. That's every fictional hero, that's what we're creating. Somebody who drawn away from home and you know they're going to come undone. You know, otherwise I don't think we're watching. We're not. We're not um there to see the film called The Valley of the Happy Nice People. You know. Yeah. We don't mm-hmm. want. We don't want to go there. It um, sounds creepy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. That would be a horror film. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Valley of the Happy Nice People. Yeah.
2: I'm like something's going wrong for sure in this movie. So,
0: so this guy, trip up the Congo River. He just becomes increasingly unsettled and, and confused and afraid. And, and until you know he winds up in a fog, like a mist descends, and, and is a perfect because he, he vanishes, you know, he vanishes to himself, you can hardly see his hand in front of his face. Um, and then the horror starts, and he finds Kurtz. And Kurtz has become Kurtz, Kurtz, the the rogue ivory trader, he's gone up there like. He's supposed to be working for the company, but he's just gone, gone, native. You know, he's gone feral, and he's, but he is free. Okay, here's the thing about the story: he has become free, because this is a that, that jungle is, is is monstrous and free. Mm. Okay, freedom and freedom people become monstrous. Like trees are huge. You know, they're not being cut down; they're they're they're, they're becoming monstrous. So, monstrous and free; those go together. Now we see mm. Kurtz, and he's, he's the same. He's free, but he's monstrous. He's, he's mm. you know, we, we're not explicit, but we think he might have been resorting to cannibalism and, and whatnot. So the question is can the human organism tolerate freedom, real freedom, real freedom? And then the suggested answer is no. <laughs> mm. It's too much. Freedom is too much for, for the human bean good book good. <laughs> it a dozen times <laughs>
1: all right all right well maybe it's time maybe it's finally time to dive into it all right let's uh let's move on to uh your second question um what is a film that has had the greatest impact on you
0: well i did mention moonstruck um yeah do i have to pick one I mean you can fire off a couple of them on the waterfront with Marlon Brando um, the most classic example of a of a character um, coming tr- shedding his belief system um yeah I, I think that's the greatest depiction of mm. somebody coming coming out of his out of his own belief system yeah and then and then um yeah moonstruck again just because I did I remember that was a turning point for me, watching her in this active crisis and her dropping her belief system. But I think, honestly, that goodwill hunting, I think, has the best depiction of, of somebody reaching the dead end, you know. Absolute dead end, cannot proceed one more second with how he's been. And, you know, Mark, Mark or Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck, they wrote this script, you know, when they're like 20 years old or something. I don't know how they did it just to get that much insight into the human condition. Maybe it was, maybe it was a common theme in their, in their Philadelphia or Boston, Boston, uh, rough, you know, east side of town. Well, as,
1: as I understand, actually, like when they first started writing it, it was supposed to be a thriller. They were writing a thriller about this brilliant guy who become, who gets in with like the CIA or something like that. And, uncovers you know all kinds of nefarious dealings and whatever and it they it obviously didn't go that way but there's a little there's a scene where he's interviewing for a job with the cia or something like that um and that sort of, he gives them this speech of like, oh, well, let's say I, I, you know, give you the location, I crack a code. And now there's all these people who are dead. And like, that was actually kind of the story that they had originally set okay. out to yeah. write. <laughs> yeah. So it's a mysterious process. How, the, how things sometimes yeah. end up the way that they do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All Brandon, right.
1: You got the next question.
0: Yeah.
2: All right. What's a song or album
1: that takes you somewhere?
0: <laughs> um yeah procol harum lighter shade of pale, you know that I mean, oh yeah, back, yeah. I see
1: that, like the organ right like it's got that like that iconic <laughs> organ well, sound in it
0: No, he, uh, lighter shade of pale do you, you i guess you can you remember that song I know the song yeah, 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 yeah takes me back to um, to expo sixty seven in Montreal you guys weren't born yet. But uh, there was a World's Fair in Montreal in 1967. And I worked there. I had just graduated from the University of Alberta. And uh, I was supposed to go to Africa. Yeah, I had a job in with CUSO in Africa. I was supposed to be a geography teacher in a little town on the shores of um, um, uh, Lake Victoria. And I, I had to turn it down because I was offered this job at Expo. And it was a job I could not turn down. It was stage managing um the, the mobile entertainers on site you know they, mo- a- they entertain lineups people in lineups and um yeah no it was a great i was a union the union it was bags of money and uh, so i i turned turned the africa africa job down but i said is when expo's over give me a call and as soon as i got back to edmonton about the first of november i got this call saying can you be in Zambia in five days, and I said, "Sure, <laughs> <laughs> Good old, you know, twenty-two year old can do anything." So anyway, lighter shade of pale was was a big then, um, Poco Haram, and I remember the, the discos in Montreal were playing that, and uh, and I remember I remember being out with this woman that on one evening, and 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 we just had a, a great time mainly to that, that (laughs) song. Okay. (laughs) There's
1: always a woman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's good. Good stuff. All right. Oh, is it my question? No, it's you. It It is me. It is me. All right. Um, PJ, where do you think creativity comes from?
0: I think we've maybe touched on that creativity. Probably comes from an inclination or a yearning not to be safe, not to be, you know, to not to buy into the, the rules, the rules of, um, of society that would, that would keep us safe. Yeah, you know, I've never, um, you know, I've never considered myself. I never thought about being creative. I, I just do stuff. You know. um, it, it, maybe it's also, you know, they say we have, we all have it in us, which I'm sure is the case. But do we all have, do we all have the, um, the, the do we all feel free to to just do it now? Like, as a writer, you sit down to that white page. I've never had any trouble just, just writing, you know? The white page, the blank page has never bothered me. But probably because I wrote for a living, and if I didn't get something in by five o'clock, I didn't get paid type of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, and an, an artist, you know, um, you, you know, I mean, you, you, if you don't feel free just to splash some paint on there, you know, you're probably not going to be an artist.
2: Mm. Since
0: maybe it's just this sense where we're not... So we're not restrained. Now, where does that come from? Did we grow up with with parents who were authoritative and 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 put us down? Maybe that person's going to have a harder time being creative. Um, And my my parents, I know, my brother and I were talking about this. We don't. Neither of us can ever remember our parents saying we couldn't do something. You know, never in our our entire lives. And it would be like. Mom, I'm going down, I'm going down to the bush for a couple of days. You know, I'm gonna build a lean to and you know, down the river valley and in uh, the North Saskatchewan River. So so I'll grab a can of beans and I'll see you in a couple of days. <laughs> and she's say, like, This is in the winter. She say, like, Okay, dear, well be careful. You know, that's it. So, but I know a lot of people whose parents were yeah. were authoritative and you know, I think maybe they have trouble being creative. So maybe creativity is just a, f- a freedom to get what's in all of us out. I don't know. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I can relate to that. I can, I can relate to that. I think that also like if your parents were authoritarian, it doesn't mean that you can't be creative later, but I definitely feel that was somewhat true for me because I remember, I just remember uh, doing a creative writing course and like or class in like grade five or something like that. in the fifth grade and, I remember I wrote my little story and I remember this other kid wrote a story. who was in my group and his was so wildly creative. Mine was super tame and like, in my opinion, at least like super kind of controlled and very like almost like normal, you know, whereas his was like, he, he really, he really like threw the paint, you know, he really tried some stuff and I, I remember after that moment being like, wow, that's what creativity could be. And after that moment, I decided I wouldn't be so restricted anymore. I wouldn't like, I would try stuff. I would dare. And I still feel like that's something I'm working on, but I I think there is a certain element of freedom and creativity. There's a certain parallel. We should explore that one day in a conversation because yeah, I do feel like that because like, um, I I know I'm talking a lot here, but I had, I have a client and she's uh, been working on her writing and she was like uh, blocked. And I'm like, okay, write a story about a potato walking down a street. And I was just joking. It was like an offhanded idea. And she did, and it was incredible. And everyone in the class was like, this is such a great story, it's so good. And it was because she let herself not be in the confines of what you know, a normal story had to be. So I think there is some kind of truth to that. I think you're tapping into something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think we all are we are all held in by something—a disbelief in ourselves, or something that's just hidden, some deep um, passion or intention or whatever that's, that's that's buried, just buried. I think people need help getting getting it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of people need help. Well, you know, I,
1: I think that in many ways, that's you know, I, I you know, there's that old sort of piece of of wisdom for artists, which is, is, um, you know, what you do, it should scare you a little bit, hmm. yeah. you know, like it should, yeah. it could, it should scare you a little bit to say what you're about to say, to do what you're about to do, because yeah. if you're not, you're probably not pushing on those edges. You're not, you're probably not pushing on, on those beliefs and those, uh, uh, and those things. If, if you don't feel a little bit, a little bit of hesitancy and, and being scared about what you're doing.
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes I, 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 this is some advice I got or tip from somebody at some point. And I use it now when I'm writing a scene, and maybe it's not to my satisfaction. I, ask, I say, "What is it about this scene or this part of the story that frightens me?" You know, where do I, where, where do I fear to go in this in this scene here? And uh, I think it's helpful for me to 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 get yeah to get, touch that. Touch that place. I mean, there's a reason I'm creating this scene, but, but maybe I haven't really touched the nerve yet. So, what is it about that frightens me? It right. Pretty embarrassing, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's great. I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question How do you find inspiration?
0: I've never, um, oh, no, just an inspiration to write a story. To, well, um, any, any
2: type of yeah. inspiration. Yeah.
0: Well, I think um, again. I I started off wanting to write for children, and there's an interesting story how how I came to that. But when I I just have these um, little passions, you know, that I I think kids are getting kids need more need more um, need some help. <laughs> so, and I had a great time raising my own son, and we we had a, we had a wonderful time. And he he grew up really quickly, I think, as as a result. And I just, I just I did, just the best time of my life. Um, but I want to tell you a story. Back, this is back in the eighties, and again, I was before I decided to be a writer. So right in, right in the mid eighties, there the, the ranch and the Osho business, the Rajneesh business was over, and I didn't know what to do. And um, I, I did have a little uh, interim interim. Um, security. In other words, I had a, I, I was making films for the Aga Khan. You know the Aga Khan? The spiritual leader of the Ismaili sect. He's one of the richest men in the world. Um, and he mm-hmm. has a number of Ismaili people in Vancouver, lots. They, they run these little shops. And anyway, he lives in Paris. But um, so I was at a, joining a film crew to make occasionally films for the Aga Khan over the next couple of years. Like so, I could make enough money going out for about two or three months a year, and that, otherwise I could I could practice my writing. I went to this workshop. It was called the Art of Personal Marketing. The Art of Personal Marketing, and we were to, in the in this long weekend, we were to come up with what we really wanted to do in our life, and then at the end of the three days, we were going to stand up and make a pitch for who we are and what we were selling. And I remember. It, it occurred to me, I just that I wanted to be, I, th- I want to be a, a writer. I want I want to write for kids. Now one of the I don't know how that came up, but it really did come up. And now one of the exercises was, we pair up. And, the person opposite you, would deny your, your wish. Okay, You'd deny your intention. So I'd say I want to be a writer, and they'd go right in my face and say, you couldn't be a writer. You know if you. If you If you tried for the rest of your life, no, no, I'm gonna be a writer. you you're just an asshole. you're just you're just a dreamer. It's never gonna happen. And then, no, 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 I'm gonna do it this goes on and on and on until you're screaming, until you' until you've found something, some real passion inside you until you're screaming it out. And I' tell you, that did it. Wow. Yeah, wow. for that reason, I think people, and I mean, it became clear to me we have these passions that are hidden, that are buried. And um, so, so this woman had a real had a real gimmick, you know, a real trick. <laughs> She's seen this before, obviously. <laughs> people have to fight for it, have to fight to bring out what's in you. It sounds crazy, mm. but that's the way it is because we're because we're you know <laughs> we're sat upon and pressured and society we want to keep us safe and all of that mm. so so inspiration um, <laughs> I think it's I think it may be buried and uh, and uh, yeah that's uh, that's how I think I, I found found mine and it just yeah it, ex- it exploded out mm.
1: all right next question we're almost there um what is one thing that you would say to your childhood self?
0: (laughs) What would would I say to my childhood self? Well, it would be, um, well, knowing that I, knowing that I, um, that writing would come to me, you know, halfway through my life, I, I would just, um, I would say, just do, just don't not do anything. You know, don't not do anything. Don't don't restrict yourself, because because um, I just think, uh, you know, the many things that I've done in my life just have led to this. You know, we don't we don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna happen. I, mean, it, I, I suppose it could have been. I may not have something else might have happened. I might not have been become a writer. I might have, um, I might have might have become an artist. I actually did have an art show once. I was, I was, doing, it was just like therapy for myself. But I sort of got into pointillism, and I actually had a show of my pointillist works. But uh, back in again, back in the 70s, yeah. Um, so my my young. It's an interesting question. I was I was just very lucky. I was very lucky. I had good mentors all through my life. And and um, yeah, I, I, in, back when I was a you know ten years old in our neighborhood in Edmonton, there were some older guys there who really took us younger kids under their wing, so to speak, and treated us like older people. Like we were, they were picking a football team. You know, they would they would they would the big guy. You know, the older guy would would pick me. You know and um and i i that was uh that was very valuable to to a younger person to have that sort of um support and re- respect of an older person yeah you can't uh, you can't you can't over you can't over you can't exaggerate that sort of value of that sort of thing mm. so yeah and I'm, I'm still not answering your question am i what do <laughs> what i tell my my younger younger self uh, yeah i guess i guess just um yeah don't yeah don't be afraid to to answer the call of of adventure you know yeah, that's the key thing don't be afraid to to leave home and I was lucky that uh, nobody told me to stay home
2: <laughs> yeah. like that all right one last question um, <clears throat> what would your future self tell you now
0: uh, that's interesting have you done uh his name um a future future authoring uh
2: uh, i think i have done that before actually what's what's that guy's name what's um uh jordan peterson yeah jordan peterson yeah i haven't done his actual thing but i've done uh something kind of similar to that yeah and i've heard him talk about it in great detail
0: yeah so what would my future self say to me now yeah yeah. I think he would say um I think he'd say don't you uh, think he'd say get get to work. <laughs> he'd say that <laughs> ain't it ain't over. Don't slack off. Because um because there's a lot there's a lot's gonna happen. There's a there's there's a lot to be done. And then and the danger is the danger is just to um you know you know become an old person and not an elder i mean become a yeah just become old and, and not be an elder. yeah i think he would say um yeah consider consider you're going to be around for a while and there's a lot of work to be done
1: hmm. nice well well pj that's um that's the last of our questions um if there's any uh, if there's any final thoughts you would like to uh, to leave with us before we sign things off, as well as um, you know anything you want to tell uh, our audience about, as to you know where they can learn more about you, find more about you, find some of your books. Uh, let uh, let the people know.
0: <laughs> how far and wide? How far and wide does uh, your podcast go?
2: Across the world and back, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Gee. Yeah, I, 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 I think I told you, did I tell you, I was putting up these posters, positive vitality is what keeps us healthy. Positive Mm. vitality is what keeps us healthy. I, I, I think in this, in these times, Mm. that's really important, especially for, um, people of a certain age because, you know, they say whether, you know, we heard it before without health, you, you've, you've got nothing. And, um, I'm trying to remain healthy. So, um, yeah, no, look, we've covered a lot of ground here and a thank you for, uh, for dredging it out, <laughs> dredging it out of me. It's, it's uh, been a pleasure to, to doing
2: this with us. Yeah.
0: So yeah, there's lots of other stories. Um, African stories and whatnot, but but um, well, they they've all they've all just added up to to this idea that we ne- that we shouldn't be afraid to to fail and we shouldn't be afraid to suffer a bit um, because that's that's essential to becoming who, who you're going to be. Absolutely, and um, yeah. Don't be afraid to fail. Perfect. That's all I got to say. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right.
1: And if anyone's interested, you can uh, go and check out and know more about PJ and his work. Um, Go to PJReese, and that's Reese with a C, dot C-A. And uh, you can see uh, about all of his work and uh, learn more about him um thanks again pj it's been a pleasure thank you guys thank you for listening in on our conversation today we hope you found something helpful that you can carry forward with you head over to our website wayoftheartist.com for more free exclusive material and learn about the show if you haven't already please support us by subscribing to the show sharing it with people you know, and keeping compassionate, creative conversation going.